Well, it's 9.15, so, so we shall start. Well, welcome to this Release International seminar entitled Christian Persecution in Africa, God's Goodness in Time of Trial. My name is Paul Robinson, and I really do have the immense privilege of being part of the leadership team of Release International. They gave me the title CEO. I prefer to call that the chief encourager of others because that's what we should be about as Christians. I'm delighted to be here to welcome you all to this seminar. Thank you very much for taking the time for joining us. In a moment, I'm going to hand over to Kenneth Harrod, who's our Head of Content and Theology for Release International. But before I do, I'd like to commit our time together to the Lord in prayer. So, so let's pray, please. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we rejoice to be your children by grace. We thank you for the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is your power for the salvation of all who believe. We thank you and we praise you for your goodness towards us. Lord, as we reflect this morning on the trials that your people face, help us to see more of your goodness and to persevere in faithful service of you. For your glory and in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Kenneth. Thanks very much, Paul. Well, uh, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. If I can uh, add my uh, welcome to you uh, here this morning, thank you very much for joining us. Um, as Paul has already mentioned, this seminar is entitled Christian Persecution in Africa, God's Goodness in Times of Trial. Release International is a ministry to Christians around the world who are persecuted for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we talk today about God's goodness in times of trial, our focus obviously is on the reality, the experience, the trial of persecution, a trial that many Christians around the world today face. Release International is active in many parts of our world today, but for this seminar we're going to focus on persecution in Africa. And we take a little journey, as it were, across Africa. So we're going to begin in the West African country of Burkina Faso, where we shall hear about the recent and alarming rise in attacks on Christians by Islamists. Then we travel to Nigeria, a country, as you're probably all aware, that has seen a horrendous amount of violence perpetrated against Christians and Christian communities over the past two decades. From there, we move to Sudan, where we shall hear from a good friend of Release International, Peter Yashak, who, as uh, Paul mentioned before we began, spent over a year in prison as a result of his ministry to persecuted Christians. And finally, we will arrive on the Red Sea coast country of Eritrea, where we shall hear from Release International partner and trustee, Dr. Bahani Asmalash. In each case, we will be reminded of the trials that faithful Christians are facing, but also hopefully we'll see something of God's goodness. And so to begin, um, it's a joy for me to introduce Release International partner, Dr. Susanna, who is from Poland and who works in Burkina Faso. Now, Susanna has been speaking over this past week at a series of Release International meetings uh, in the Midlands and in the north of England. So, Susanna, over to you. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a great privilege for me to speak to you. And today I'm going to share about Burkina Faso. And uh, this country is located in West Africa. 
And uh, for many years, this was a peaceful country. There was no war, no attacks, and uh, uh, of course, it was a poor country because it's in, uh, located in the sub-Saharan area. The northern part of the country uh, was really desert and is still really desert. There was a problem with drinking water, but all people, Muslim, animists, Christians, they were living in peace in the country. The situation started to change in 2015 with the change of the government and uh, the jihadists would appear in the country. They came from Mali, from north of the country. And at the very beginning, they started to operate and to attack only in the northern part of the country, where you may see here on the screen. However, this situation started to change and after two, three years, the attacks moved around the country to the regions that they were first untouched. So how does the country look nowadays? So nowadays, all the country is covered by what we call red zone. It means that the attacks um, done by jihadists and uh, radical Islamists, they are surrounding the country. The population of Burkina Faso is around 20 millions. Inside these 20 millions, official statistics provide that 2 millions are internally displaced people. Unofficially, we know that 4 million people are internally displaced. They are living in the refugee camps. They are living in temporary shelters. They were kicked out and driven out from their homes. This is their situation. From May 2019, the jihadists announced that they will focus on Christians. And they started. In May 2019, the first attack on Christians in Silgaji. Pastors and elders of the church were killed. Now the situation is very hard. There is many Christians who had run away from their houses. They are living in the refugee camps. They are living in the churches. Uh, their situation is extremely difficult. There is around 400,000 Christians that are staying in the temporary shelters and they don't have access to the food, to drinking water. They are not able to send their children uh, for school so they do not have access to education. Um, as VIM Poland and Release International, we are helping those believers, those Christians who are driven out from their homes. We are drilling wells, we are providing everything what they need. But this situation is not taking out their faith. They are strong in their faith. As we could encourage them, we could pray with them, we could see and we could hear what they are asking for. The first thing they are asking is to pray for them so they do not give up their faith. So as we are talking today about the God's goodness in times of trial, let's remember brothers and sisters, Christians from Burkina Faso who are facing 
trial and difficulties on everyday basis. So let's look at these children. They are lovely children from Christian families. Now they are living uh, on the outside the capital, Ouagadougou. Uh, they are in the refugee camps. And thanks to the work with Release International, we are sending them to school and we are taking care of them. When we are speaking today about um, God's goodness, I have to say that brothers, elders, pastors, they are still going to preach the gospel. Even though the roads are mined, even though there are, they know that if they are stopped by jihadists, they will lose their life. They keep going and they share the gospel with their neighbors. Thank you so much. Thank you. Dr. Susanna, thank you very much uh, for sharing that with us. There will be an opportunity for questions later uh, in our time together. Burkina Faso, I guess, is a country that we don't tend to hear that much about uh, in the news. So it, it's good to be informed, isn't it, of the situation for Christian brothers and sisters in that country. Um, a country that we do perhaps hear more about is Nigeria. Now, this morning we had planned to uh, bring to you live by Zoom... Uh, Release International's good friend and partner, Archbishop Ben Kwashi. Some of you may have heard of him. Archbishop Ben is a regular conference speaker here in the UK and in other parts of the world. However, unfortunately, in the middle of last week, it became clear that, uh, that Ben couldn't join us this morning. So we, a few days ago, we recorded what he had planned to say to you this morning. So it won't be live, um, but you can hear what he would have said if it was live. So this is Archbishop Ben from Jos in Nigeria. Friends of Release International, let me begin by thanking you for what you do for the persecuted church around the world. I have known of your visits to Nigeria from the year 2001. To date, you have dared into dangerous places around the world and especially for me in northern Nigeria, where you have first-hand testimony with stories of living witnesses of the horrors, unimaginable horrors, of what is happening to the church in northern Nigeria. Let me begin um, my thoughts on the situation here in uh, northern Nigeria, and particularly in the central region of Nigeria. Uh, that is to say, areas covering particularly uh, minority Christian groups in the northeast, and in some cases, majority Christian groups in the central region. In the wake of 2001, September 7th, the first indication that the church was in danger on a whole scale basis was set from 
from that day, when a young girl, Christian girl, was going home, and it was a Friday, uh, and after that, she was said to have desecrated their Friday prayers. And rather than arrest the girl, rather than beat the girl, they turned on Christian churches, Christian businesses, and people. And the massacre that began that day has seen grown in size, in number, to the extent that the actual figures right now of Christian people killed in Plato State alone will not be less than 20,000 with names, with addresses. I remember talking to um, a church that was praying for the 10th anniversary of 9-11 in Nigeria. And I was the preacher. So I had to let them know that four days before 9-11, before Plateau State was already in flames. 3,000 people died in one day and made their souls rest in peace. And we condole the families of those that died in the US. But I had to tell them on the 10th anniversary, we have not less than 10,000 people that were still being that have been killed and are still being killed in Plateau State alone. And the world is silent. Mm -hmm. We cannot thank Release International enough for their work in making our stories known, in raising prayer awareness, and in raising support. Things are not getting any better. The onslaught has since changed from a massive killing to a retail killing. So a village of about um, two, three thousand people will have an attack, and maybe five people get killed, or 20, sometimes 30. And then you think that was the end, another village gets attacked. So when you put the attacks uh, in total in one week, you would discover that they are close to a thousand. And that is the case. And then there is the kidnap for ransom. And mostly these are church people, poor people in the rural areas, and their pastors. So they are depleting their finances with this kidnap. So when they are kidnapped, they have to pay ransom. And monies that would ordinarily have been put into feeding and care for the suffering people in the church, they are using to pay ransom. And sometimes, even after paying the ransom, the pastor is killed, was kidnapped, or his wife, or both. What was known before now was Boko Haram. But Boko Haram has since joined forces with Iswa, ISIS in West Africa. And the kingdom, they have one goal, to Islamize Nigeria. So the first target is the church. But the second target is Muslims who disagree with their own type of jihad. But when you put it on a scale, it's as if the government is not doing anything because the number of attacks 
are just so many and it has gone now nationwide it has reached the south um, there's a community in uh, in Enugu State Amufu area where it has been said that the Fulani herders armed have killed several people in the last eight or so months in or very recently on the state oh, nearly 40 people were massacred on a Sunday morning service so it is spreading nationwide let me say that in all of these things our theme is God's goodness in times of trial and I am one of those who speaks of the God we know, the God who saved us, the God we serve, as a good God. The evidence is overwhelming. Because of our trials, because of our persecution, you and many other Christians around the world who would never have known that Christians existed in this part of the world with not only a faith in Christ, but a thriving faith in Christ in the middle of nothing. Mm. This, many of your visitors who come here, your leaders who come to us see, when the wounds are healed, the songs of praises are sung in the highest. Mm. Prayers have been said for us all over the world. And the testimony of the church in these persecuted areas is being known to the glory of God all over the world. Amen. But secondly, there is also a practical show of actual Christian love that comes by way of uh, funds for food, for clothing, for um, schools, for all kinds of things that has come from all over the world. Oh, glory to God for that that our difficulties has forced the church worldwide to show practical love for people they have never known or will never know. But the one thing I'm sure of is we will meet at the feet of Jesus in eternity. All of this has sharpened our focus as a persecuted church. We're up and running with the gospel as we are persecuted. That is the third wonderful thing that has happened to us, that the gospel is being spread in the midst of suffering. Mm. And even here at home, people are opening the doors of their homes. There's practical Christianity all over. Mm. Gloria, my wife, has opened my house to over 70 kids right now living with us, and they have. Many of them have grown, we put them in schools, and at least three of them have just graduated from the university and Gloria cannot stop taking. <laughs> this is what it means when we say God's goodness in times of trial is real. We are not giving up. Hmm. We, are, we will not be defeated. Hmm. Jesus is risen from the dead. Amen. And Amen. believe me, we have a gospel worth living for and a gospel worth proclaiming and dying for. Amen. Thank you.
Even when it's a, a pre-recorded message, Archbishop Ben is always uh, inspiring, isn't he? Um, and if you'll excuse the plug, uh, ladies and gentlemen, can I commend to you all Archbishop Ben's biography, if you've never heard of it? It's called Neither Bomb Nor Bullet. Uh, it's written by Andrew Boyd, who is Release International's media consultant. It's a very powerful and inspiring read about faithfulness to the gospel of Christ in the face of hatred and violence. Well, we're going to move on now in our journey across Africa. Uh, Petr Yashak, uh, to my left, is, is from the Czech Republic. He works for one of Release International's sister missions. In December 2015, while on a visit to Khartoum to encourage persecuted Christians, Petr was arrested by the Sudanese authorities. He ended up spending a total of 445 days in prison, uh, and if God had not intervened, he could have been there for life. Petter. Um, ladies and gentlemen, uh, dear friends of the persecuted church, uh, brothers and sisters, it's a great honor for me uh, to stand in front of you uh, this morning and to share uh, the great things that the Lord has done in my life. Uh, as you may well know, um, Czechoslovakia has suffered uh, 41 years of communism, and we were freed uh, uh, just uh, 1989. We got the freedom back, you know, and uh, I'm so thankful for those courageous brothers and sisters, also from the UK, who were smuggling Bibles to uh, Czechoslovakia, and I had the privilege to meet, meet many of them. Some of them even spent some time in prison uh, when they were caught by the uh, communist authorities. And having been freed from the communist dictatorship, uh, you can imagine what kind of joy uh, we experience when we could now help others who uh, are still being persecuted. Many people thought that uh, with the fall of the Iron Curtain that persecution stopped. But the opposite uh, is actually uh, happening in the world. Um, the uh, Wurmbrun missions uh, around the world are associated with, uh, uh, I mean, in a Christian, uh, International Christian Association, ICA, that um, associates the Release International, the Czech Voice of the Martyrs, the Polish Voice of the Martyrs, uh, about 16 different missions around the world. And I had the great privilege to uh, meet, interview, and help many persecuted brothers and sisters, especially in Africa. You know, I met not only those people who have uh, lost their material things, often their houses being looted and burnt. You know, we heard it from a uh, bishop from Nigeria. Uh, cars being uh, burned or destroyed. I met also those who have lost their beloved ones. And I can tell you that uh, sometimes their testimonies were so overwhelming that uh, I barely could say a word. I was just weeping with those who weep. And um, the Lord gave me a special privilege to meet uh, people whom I consider heroes of faith. Those who have also lost parts of their own bodies because they didn't want to renounce their faith. And I was sitting opposite to them, you know, I've noticed either they were missing left arm or right leg, you know, that's what they, uh, the Muslim extremists are instructed by their founder Muhammad, you know, to intimidate the Christians. 
And I can tell you that um, my personal faith was deeply encouraged uh, uh, meeting and uh, listening to the testimonies of those people. And I was uh, feeling privileged to uh, be able to organize, help all these brothers and sisters. Uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. And, uh, but, um, you know, I met also many in Sudan. You have lost everything, you know. Uh, but uh, I have met people who uh, are following Christ's great commission, you know, to uh, preach the good news to every person, to make disciples of all people. And that's the major problem, for instance, in Sudan. Uh, the people um, who are uh, limiting their Christian activity only for the Sunday or Friday church, they can live relatively easy life even in the capital city of Sudan. But those who take Christ's great commission seriously and they start to preach uh, the gospel to Muslims, that's the moment when they uh, experience persecution. And I met many heroes of faith even in Sudan. You know, In fact, those people who were imprisoned with me, uh, two Sudanese pastors and one interpreter, they were all experienced prisoners. Uh, and of course, I understand not criminals, but uh, they were repeatedly being imprisoned for their activities of sharing the gospel with the majority people. And um, they were being beaten and tortured. And uh, I never heard from those people any uh, complaints or anything like asking, please pray that this persecution will stop. They consider the persecution of themselves and other Christian brothers and sisters as an essential part of a Christian life. You know, and I learned from them that, uh, you know, the verse from Second uh, Timothy 3.12, that everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And, you know, I uh, had the privilege uh, not only to help the persecuted, but also to, uh, to be with them in a prison. And... Uh, uh, you know, this was a very interesting time. You know, um, in one of the Psalms, it says that the Lord is the protector of the unexperienced ones. And I was a first time in prison and right in Africa. And of course, you know, um, I can tell you that my first four months uh, were, uh, I prayed. I could not have my Bible. Uh, I prayed uh, very selfishly. I just prayed that I would be released and reunited with my family. But after four months, the Lord showed me uh, through the possibility to share the gospel to 12, with 12 Eritrean refugees that were with the same cell with me. And suddenly, I started to view this from different perspective. I, I saw the reason for me being in prison. And uh, that changed my attitude to the rest, you know. And I have uh, experienced uh, uh, the Lord's presence, you know, in the most difficult time, you know, when I was uh, being beaten, uh, tortured by ISIS members. You know, I was imprisoned with them for the first two months. Uh, I don't have to tell you the story because it's now available, uh, the book uh, that I wrote. It's called Imprisoned with ISIS. I'm sure you can get it through Release International. 
And also, if you would like to experience uh, uh, the book even before reading it, uh, I would like to invite you uh, tomorrow uh, in Emmanuel Center. I don't know the address, but you may later on announce the address of Emmanuel Center. It's the Emmanuel Center on Martian Street. Um, there's a play being made of um, Peter's experience. Yeah, Artless Artle Theater, they made this play called If Prison Walls Could Speak. Yeah. You know, I uh, have experienced the persecution because uh, I grew up as a Christian in a communist country, my parents being interrogated, arrested and interrogated, and... Uh, uh, I got to read Richard Wurmbrand's book, uh, In God's Underground, when our family was going through persecution. And uh, I can tell you that that has encouraged me in my walk with Christ and uh, being firm in my face under the communist persecution. Uh, but one thing that I would like to encourage you uh, is, is, of course, to pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters. Uh, that's what they always ask in the first place, like in Burkina Faso that Dr. Susanna shared with you, like in Nigeria, they always ask for prayers. But I believe that when we as a body of Christ will start praying for our brothers and sisters who are going through persecution, I'm sure that the Holy Spirit will speak to each one of us and um, show us how else we could help, uh, maybe financially, maybe uh, even going and uh, helping personally, you know, the persecuted brothers and sisters. I'm sure that when we will feel the pain that our brothers and sisters are experiencing, that that will brought us to the point that we want to get involved in helping them as well. And one thing that I would like to emphasize, you know, that whenever I was um, visiting, uh, interviewing persecuted believers, that uh, uh, I never felt any hatred in their hearts. Of course, you know, maybe when, when uh, children lost their parents or, uh, you know, of course they were traumatized and maybe their first thought might have been, you know, for revenge. But then the Holy Spirit worked on their hearts and they confessed that they uh, want to follow Christ's uh, command, which we all know it's written in Matthew 5.44. And Jesus said, but I say to you, Love your enemies. Uh, he said, bless those who are cursing you. Do good things to those who hate you. And even pray for those who are uh, mistreating you and who are persecuting you. That's the command that we see life being involved in the hearts and minds of these persecuted people. Even when we share uh, their testimonies, sometimes the, the secular journalists can accuse us of you know, spreading hatred against their persecutors. No, you know, one of the main purposes that uh, the whole Wurmbrand Mission family has is to win for Christ those who are the persecutors. So if the persecutors are the communists in China, of course they are spreading the gospel among them. <clears throat> if uh, the Christians are persecuted in the Muslim country, of course, those persecuted believers want to share Christ with those persecutors. And we know that persecution and revival goes hand in hand. Sometimes theologians are disputing whether it's persecution during brings revival or whether uh, persecution follows after a revival. I think both situations are true. We see both in many countries. And this is an amazing. If the church would stop 
to fulfill the Great Commission. You know, many uh, of these Christians would stop being persecuted, but that's what the Lord Jesus said. You know, he prepared his followers uh, for persecution. In John 15, we read that uh, the, the Jesus gave the true reason why we as believers are being persecuted. He said, because you are not of the world. Anyone who has been born again from water and spirit has become a citizen of heavenly kingdom. And as such, he will be always hated in this world. And he said, uh, in Luke, for instance, 12, he said, you will be brought before religious and secular authorities because of my name. And he said, this will be your opportunity to bear witness. Then he says, some of you will be put in prison. Some will be betrayed by their family members. And some of you will be killed. So that's the reality that the persecuted church understands very well. And we are trying as uh, Release International, as Voice of the Martyrs, as the whole International Christian Association, we are trying to be the voice of those voiceless people. And uh, I often also encourage uh, uh, brothers and sisters living in free still in free countries uh, to get ready for persecution. Of course, persecution has many different forms. Uh, not all of us will suffer losing our family members. Not all of us will lose our left arm or right leg. But we are all members of the same family. And this is a wonderful thing that, uh, you know, when we share uh, testimonies, sometimes very compelling testimonies, and, um, you know, Sometimes people cry when they see the pictures. And I always encourage those people, I say, don't be ashamed of your tears. Because that's a wonderful witness that you belong to the same family. And that's a wonderful thing that we are uh, one family for those who has uh, become citizens of heavenly kingdom. And we have to be ready for persecution because we will always be hated uh, in, in this world. We will, the persecution will never stop. It will actually continue. It will increase until the Lord Jesus comes. Thank you very much. Um, Peter made reference. Peter made reference to the play that's been written about his uh, time in prison, Marsham Centre, the Emmanuel Marsham Street, the Emmanuel Centre. Tomorrow night at seven p.m. I saw it for the first time last night, and it is one of those things you really have to see. I'm not saying that to sell it. It was one of the things I've been ringing my friends saying you've got to go. It's so rich and it's so life affirming. So if you are free, um, we'll see you there tomorrow night. Thank you. Thanks, Paul. Uh, well, we come to the, uh, the final leg of our whistle-stop journey, and that's to Eritrea uh, and the Horn of Africa. And let me introduce Dr. Bahani Asmalash, who is both a Release International partner and also a trustee. Yeah, um, I am from Eritrea. Eritrea used to be part of Ethiopia, uh, and we um, got our independence about 30 years ago. During the Ethiopian communism, uh, we were also persecuted as Christians. I myself was in prison for 11 months. Then we got our independence. We expected democracy and peace, but uh, it never came. The new government, the Eritrean government, was worse than the Ethiopian communist regime. Uh, in 2002, the government ordered all evangelical churches to be shot. Then after that, they start to arrest Christians from wherever they are. Um, Christians continue to meet in houses, but 
there were these houses were often being raided. And in 2004, the government arrested the top pastors, the church leaders. Uh, until now, they are in prison. It's over 18 years. These senior pastors were my closer friends. We grew up together. We were in the church. We were praying together and ministering together. I, I, I survived because I was here. I came to the UK to study theology. While I was here, the government changed its policy and started to persecute Christians. Uh, this persecution now is uh, over 20 years, still is happening. In the last uh, si uh, six months, we have many Christians being arrested. In March, 29 Christians were caught uh, gathering in a house prayer, and they are still in prison. And again, in May, 17 people were caught from house prayer meetings, and they are still in prison. And in the early June, 25 people gathered for child dedication in their house. There were 17 adults and 8 children. All of them are still in prison, including the children. So now, at, the, at present, we have hundreds of Christian prisoners. Some of them have been released after 17, 16, and 15 years. It's hard. Uh, one lady was in prison for 16 years. She was 21 when she was arrested. When she was released, she became 37. It's very difficult to catch up. And all these years, she's she been to several uh, prisons, tortured, all sorts of abuse uh, she experienced. But now still she is ministering for Christ. She takes it as joy, being ambassador for Christ. The government vowed, the Eritrean government vowed that he, uh, he will clear uh, Eritrea from Christians, from evangelicals. But now we have more Christians than 20 years ago. Because all these Christians, they continue to minister inside the church. One of the, uh, my close friends, his name is Dr. Kuflu. He was a professor at the university. Then he became a full-time minister. He was arrested in 2004. He was witnessing from inside the prison. And one of the government ministers was in prison. And he shared the gospel. And he became a Christian. So after he, he came out of prison, he shared with others how he became a Christian. So these people are there for a cause. That's what Christianity means. Even in prison, the gospel will not be imprisoned. In Eritrea, now we have Christians in every household. Uh, about two years ago, no, it was 70, so about five years ago, the president gathered all the ministers and he said, we need to take like a swift action against all these evangelicals. What do you suggest? All of them were quiet because their children are Christians. And one of the ministers stood and she said, he's asking us about our children. I know you, all of your children are now uh, become Christians. So what do you say? 
all of them were quiet. Then the president took his own action. On that summer, they arrested 200 Christians from their houses. Although, you know, prison doesn't mean like what we know in this country. Prison means, you know, could be any, anywhere. Could be in the desert, locked up in shipping containers. There is always torture, starvation, hard labor. So all sorts of suffering. A lot of people are um, in prison under the ground. My own uh, nephew was in prison for two years. And he said, they kept us like four meters under the ground. And there is a small hole for breathing. And it is very hot. A lot of people collapse and die inside the prison. Sometimes if they want to punish you, just they shut the, the opening. And many people die. And they just bury them. And the cruelty, what we see in Eritrea, we cannot see elsewhere in the world. One of the top abusers of Christians. But in spite of that, Christians are happy to die for their faith. So there are a lot of discouraging and encouraging words. I am always encouraged by their testimonies. Amen. Dr. Bahani, thank you very much. Well, at this point, we've got a, a few minutes uh, for any questions for our speakers today. Uh, we have, is there some roving mics or a rover? There's a roving mic singular at the back there. Um, so if anybody has any questions for those people who've spoken so far, if I can ask that you keep your question brief, not too complicated, not too many clauses and subclauses and so on. But if you have any brief question, and our speakers, I know, will endeavour also to give succinct answers. So there's a hand up over here. Thank you very much. Uh, my, na uh, my name is Ayodeji, and I'm from Nigeria. And um, thank you very much to all the speakers today. Uh, my question is, I don't know, in general, these persecutions will continue. We know that these things will probably even get worse. And speaking for, I mean, as someone from Nigeria, I also know how in the past it was isolated in the north. Now it's getting, it's spreading. My question is, how much pressure can we put on, or can we put pressure on governments I'm talking of government in the UK, in the US, and wherever, in terms of helping and supporting our government. And one of the things I've noticed is when you speak to our government, for example, in Nigeria, it's almost like an opposition. Oh, it's your, f I mean, you're saying the government is not doing whatever. But what can we do to ensure that, because it needs government, it needs, I mean, help. They actually do need help, I'll, I'll be honest with you. And what can we do as individuals, as groups, as organizations? Well I, well, I would say this. Um, one of the definitions for advocacy is representing the needs of somebody to a higher power. And uh, we often think that that's governments. But if we think about the higher power being the father, then that's the first thing we do. The best advocacy we can engage in, and it's the one that Christians on the ground are always asking for, is prayer. Um, very little actually is done government to government. There is pressure that's paid but there are vested interests and it very rarely makes any difference to any single Christian on the ground who's suffering in Nigeria. So I would say this is not a sales pitch. Get involved in organizations, whichever one you choose, that's serving the body of Christ in those countries because the best thing we can do is pray for them and let the church care for the church in that nation. 
Thank you, Paul. Briefly, very briefly, very briefly. I can, uh, before, and I just want to share a little bit. Uh, you know, I can just tell you when I was in prison, uh, I was extremely encouraged when I heard, you know, that many Christians uh, raised their voices and uh, maybe signed petitions for uh, our release. Not that we would trust that much that that would make the change, but it was very encouraging to see the body of Christ getting involved, you know, and when I was, um, you got to uh, got the news about, you know, people sending uh, or protesting again uh, in front of the Sudanese embassies, we had tears in our eyes, even though we knew that the Lord was the one who was holding the keys, but it was very encouraging to see the body of Christ involved. Thank you, Peter. Okay, I think somebody had a hand up the back there. Hi, yeah, I'm, I'm Reverend um, David Peterson. Um, I'm a Church of England priest. Now, just uh, listening to your testimony um, and seeing the picture of you in prison, uh, was there any time that you thought to yourself, oh goodness, you know, I regret being a Christian, I should have been a plumber, you know. <laughs> <laughs> did you ever have you those kind of moments? And yeah. how did you overcome it? And what really kept you anchored in your faith? Thank you. I <clears throat> Honestly, because I was preparing others for persecution, so I could not be surprised that persecution happened again in my life. Uh, so, uh, honestly, I never asked the Lord why that happened to me. Uh, you know, I have often heard from the persecuted believers that they considered uh, being persecuted for the Christ's name as a privilege, you know, based on Philippians 1.29. But when I was going through it, I can testify it doesn't feel like a privilege. It only feels like a privilege when it's over. Uh, but my question was when uh, days became uh, weeks, weeks became months, and months became year. Uh, my question was, how long, Lord, right? But even that question, I stopped asking the Lord because, you know, the Lord uh, arranged that I could preach the gospel in uh, Al-Huda prison. You know, there was the last but one prison uh, out of the five different prisons that I went through when where the conditions were the worst of all. But this prison was unique. There was a prison chaplain, apart from many mosques inside for the Muslim prisoners, and I was able to preach for six months to absolutely hopeless, desperate, and forgotten people. When we sit one afternoon with the two Sudanese pastors, we all were in absolute agreement that we stopped being concerned how much more, much more time we will have to spend in prison because we saw that the Lord was using us to preach the gospel to our fellow prisoners. And since that moment, we stopped being, uh, I was stopped uh, asked this question, how long, Lord, because I knew that the Lord was the one who was in control. Thank you, Peter. My name is Robert Crawford. I, I serve as a missionary right across Africa. I just returned from Nigeria, and I had opportunity to fight through with um, Amnesty International to get members of my church released from prison, beaten, tortured in Rwanda. I, I do appreciate all that has been said, but I also believe the question that was asked we run the risk of treating different people differently when things are happening. It is clear to me that while I appreciate everything that is being done, Western governments see the atrocities in Africa 
the persecution, the killing. We heard the bishop from Nigeria say so many people being killed and the world has turned a blind eye. And while we need to pray, it's important to pray. The war in Ukraine, sanctions were placed against Russia to say, unless you stop. We saw it happening in Rwanda. Hundreds slaughtered and the Western world kept quiet. I believe with all of my heart that justice must be done because the Western world, these leaders from Africa, as they have headache, they are in London. The children come to universities here, and so I feel that as Christians, we need to be proactive and lobby with our governments to say, do something to stop the atrocities in Africa. Thank you. We've got time for one really, really brief question. All right, if it's a brief, succinct question to one of our speakers. You can pick who goes to. Hi, my name is Wanu Adefala. At the risk of sounding like an unbeliever, forgive me, I just want to know the place of empowering the, uh, the churches that are persecuted to defend themselves. Don't, I, I'm, I'm saved, I love Jesus, but um, when I have, I work with an organization called Nehemiah Project, and they support Christians in Kaduna, the north, um, and security is a huge issue. I mean, you've heard the bishop speak. When we go to our government, we're asking them to intervene, and they're going to intervene with weapons. Again, I want to say, I love Jesus, I'm a peacemaker. But is there a place for equipping our brothers and sisters to defend themselves? That's my question. Don't judge me, love Jesus. Yeah. And not going to judge you, but I think it's too big to deal with that here. Um, in Nigeria, there are people who take different views. Uh, all I can say is, if it was my village that was being attacked by Fulani armed with AK-47s, I don't know what I would do. Um, so I think that's a huge discussion to have, and there are those on both sides of the fence. One of our partners wanted to arm villagers, but came to the conclusion, based upon his reading of the New Testament, that that wasn't something that he could do. So thanks very much for your question, but I don't think we can answer it properly today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Paul, for that very good answer. Um, well, before we come to the final part of our seminar, I want to briefly introduce to you Asif Mal. Asif works uh, with Release International, and he has a key role for us here in Westminster. And I want to just say a few words. Asif. Thanks, Ken. Uh, yes, my name is Asif Mal. I, I, uh, I head up uh, what we call strategic interventions within Release International. And part of my role involves uh, working closely with various APPGs. Uh, one of the APPG I work closely with is on international religious freedom. Uh, and the other one we, at our request, was set up in November 2015. And that is particularly about Pakistani minorities. And uh, uh, it's being headed by uh, Honorable Member of Parliament Jim Shannon, uh, as well as uh, uh, Elizabeth, uh, Baroness Elizabeth Barrage. And we're very grateful for the support that we received from the British Parliament in trying to uh, uh, intervene in certain situations uh, where we were able to avert some of the tragedies before they took place. Uh, I obviously, with my limited time, I can't say more, but uh, particularly Pakistan was a, was a huge success story uh, where lives were saved. And more recently in Afghanistan, where uh, we were involved in 
rescuing and relocating 150 Afghan Christians uh, since Taliban took over last year. Thank you. Thank you very much, Asif. Well, we've heard from a few countries across Africa this morning about the persecution of God's people, but it would be remiss of us this morning if we didn't hear from God himself uh, and from his word. So I want to read to you uh, a few verses. I need three hands really here. There we are. A few verses from Acts chapter 8. Hopefully you can read that or you may have a Bible with you. Uh, I'm going to read from verse 1 of Acts chapter 8. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to a city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. Hindsight is a wonderful thing. That's a phrase people sometimes employ, isn't it? When perhaps they're looking back at an event or a series of events and looking back from a vantage point and with knowledge that they couldn't have had at the time. Or if I can put it slightly differently and perhaps a bit more personally for some of us here this morning, some of us as we get older, uh, we start to find ourselves looking back on our lives, perhaps looking back a bit wistfully at certain key moments in our lives, key turning points for good or ill. And we find ourselves saying something like this, don't we? We say, if I knew then what I know now, (laughs) I can see one or two people nodding, you know, you fill in the blanks according to your circumstances. Well, reflecting on God's goodness, especially in and through times of trial, can often be like that, really. Because we rarely, if ever, see things as our eternal God sees them. We don't have his perspective. That's why we walk by faith, not by sight, to quote the old phrase. But faith, and by faith, of course, I mean a robust biblical faith that is rooted in what God has said. Faith will believe that our God is sovereign, that our God is good, and therefore our God is working all things according to his good purposes. And we have a wonderful illustration of that in those verses that I just read. Now, I've only got a few minutes, so I can't really develop this uh, in any depth, but those verses follow hot on the heels of the martyrdom of Stephen. Luke writes, and there arose on that day, on that very day, a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. It seems that the brutal killing of Stephen lit the blue touch paper, as we would say. Violence quickly escalated as violence usually or often does. And we're told of the Christians who were living in Jerusalem, that they were all scattered Please note that word. They were all scattered. And they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Note where they were scattered also. And we can perhaps try and imagine what that must have been like. 
those of us who live fairly comfortable lives, leaving everything behind suddenly, leaving everything that's dear to you, fleeing simply because you are a Christian. Clearly, I guess that's something that none of us would ever want to experience, would we? Nor is it something we would ever want any other Christian to experience. And yet, just three verses later, so soon enough that you can't miss the reference, even if you're somebody who's as slow on the uptake as I am, just three verses later, Luke writes, Now those who were scattered, yes, it's the same word, it's the same word in the Greek that that Luke wrote his book in, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Praise God. He goes on to give one example of this man, Philip, who powerfully proclaimed the gospel in a city of Samaria. All of you, I'm sure, will be aware of of, uh, in the opening chapter of the book of Acts when the risen Lord Jesus, prior to his ascension, tells his disciples, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and ultimately to the ends of the world. Well, up to this point in the book of Acts, they had been his witnesses in Jerusalem. How would they begin to be his witnesses in Judea and Samaria, and ultimately to the ends of the world? Well, ironically, and I say ironically because I don't think any of us would have chosen this method If you had been God's PA, thinking that you can uh, plan his itinerary for him, you wouldn't have chosen this method, would you? Ironically, the gospel begins to be spread through the trial of persecution. They were all scattered, writes Luke, through the regions of Judea and Samaria, and those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Now don't misunderstand or mishear me. That doesn't justify persecution, does it? Persecution is never anything other than evil. Let's be clear about that. The persecution of Christians is the world expressing its hatred of the Lord Jesus Christ. And those disciples living in Jerusalem in those days, they wouldn't have chosen to suffer persecution. They wouldn't have chosen to be scattered, to be forced to flee any more than Christians today wouldn't choose to be persecuted, to be imprisoned, to have to flee or whatever. Nevertheless, Luke, writing now with the benefit of hindsight, in fact writing with divinely inspired hindsight, Luke now shows us God's goodness at work, even in the midst of trial and persecution. So what difference does that make for you as a Christian? Knowing, because the Bible tells you, God tells you, knowing that God's goodness operates even in times of trial. How does that shape your response to the persecution of Christians today. Well, a lot more could be said than we have time for this morning, but let me just suggest this to you as we close. The real question, or at least the first question that you should be asking, is not 
How can we stop persecution? Occasionally that may be the right question. But the real question for you to ask yourself is, how does the New Testament teach us to respond to persecution? How do the apostles respond? What do they do when they are aware of other Christians being persecuted for Christ and the gospel? And how can I be part of expressing that biblical response today? For that, I would humbly suggest to you, is what the Ministry of Release International is all about. Amen. Thanks very much, Kenneth. Thank you so much for coming along. Um, We started by saying we don't want you to see us. We want you to see the very precious body of Christ and each individual member. Um, Statistics vary and you can challenge them. But at the moment, the statistic is more than 300 million individual brothers and sisters are suffering around the world today for the name of Jesus Christ. That's an unbelievable number. It's a catastrophe that's not properly reported. But as brothers and sisters, we should be praying for them. So I I commend the Ministry of Release International, not because it's our ministry, it's the Lord's ministry, but we are seeking to love and serve individuals. So in your bag that you would have received this morning, there is a magazine where you can find out more about us. Um, Recently I was asked to speak at a conference and the conference was called The Global Persecution of Christians, Where Do We Go Next? And one of the things was to say it's a spiritual problem fundamentally. It's not just a human rights problem. It's not just a political problem. It's a spiritual problem because it's about the body of Christ. And I remember um, when I became a Christian, one of the um, musicians at the time was a man called Keith Green very radical Christian singer and he said this this generation of Christians is the responsibility of this generation of Christians so may I urge you to go away think about what you've heard and think about what your individual response is but one of the things we would like to see is every Christian believer in this nation and every church in this nation being made aware of these circumstances and taking action to do something about it so invite us to your churches Um, recommend us to other churches not because we want to be great but we want to raise the voice of persecuted Christians so that this church in this country can stand with the church globally so thank you for coming I think it would be good to close in prayer thank you the psalmist declared concerning those who persecuted him that they have almost made an end of me on earth but I have not forsaken your precepts in your steadfast love give me life that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth father God we echo the psalmist's words for ourselves and all your suffering people we pray in your steadfast love give us life strengthen those who suffer for Christ and the gospel and give to us compassionate hearts to love and serve them prayerfully pastorally and practically And we ask all this in the precious name of the one who loved us and died for us, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you.